Christchurch, New Malden, 1st of March 2020, 9.30 service. Becky Mills speaking in the series, Lent 2020, Carbon Fast for Creation. What can we do about our CO2? You sit down, everyone. So, what can we do about our CO2? You say you love your children above all else, and and yet you are stealing their future in front of their very eyes. That's a quote from our climate change global superstar, Greta Thunberg. When she first heard about the climate crisis, she panicked. She lost so much weight that it stunted her growth. She persuaded her family to go vegan, stop flying, and buy an electric car. But that wasn't enough for Greta. She started the school strike for climate protests, promoting hashtag Fridays for Future, alongside millions of schoolchildren, and now adults across the globe, to demand that politicians, governments, and big businesses take action on climate change. When we get scary messages from climate change activists, how do we react? Is it too distant, too remote to bother us? Do we switch off from it because we feel that we can't have any impact? Do we deny it's happening and cheer ourselves up by thinking about something else, a lot more cheerful? Do we feel guilty, lose sleep over it? Or do we concentrate on doing something positive to make a difference? We need to act, not just for the sake of the future of God's earth, or our children and grandchildren, but for people in low-income countries who are suffering the devastating effects of climate change right now and have done the least to deserve it. But the first thing we need to do is to understand the climate crisis we're facing. So let's start at the beginning. What does climate mean? It doesn't just mean weather. It means long-term weather patterns in different areas. The Earth has an imaginary line around it at its widest point, like a belt called the equator. The areas nearest to this belt have very hot climates. The the areas nearest to the north and south poles have very cold climates. And the areas in between vary from mild and wet to very hot and dry. There are six different climate zones on the Earth. Who knows any of them? Yes. Tropical, excellent. Any more? Does anyone know any more? Yes. Some new one. Rainforest, brilliant. Yes. Any more? Yes, Samuel? Desert. He's so good. Sorry? Arctic, yes. Or polar. That's nearly all of them, isn't it? Brilliant. So, we've got polar, long dark winters with temperatures well below freezing and slightly warmer summers. Temperate, warm summers, cool winters and occasional snow. Mediterranean, mild wet winters and hot dry summers. Desert, 
the hottest areas of the world, very little rainfall, up to 50 degrees centigrade, with huge temperature differences between night and day. Tropical, lots of rainfall, hot and wet, with temperatures mostly the same all year round. And finally, equatorial, high temperatures and massive rainfall. So which zone do we live in? Excellent! Well done, you! So, since the 18th century, scientists called meteorologists have been monitoring and recording the weather. These records show that the Earth's atmosphere is beginning to get warmer, which is causing our weather patterns and our climate in the different zones to change. So, why is the Earth getting warmer? What is going on? Now, the Sun obviously plays an important role in deciding the Earth's climate. Most sunlight passes through the atmosphere and warms the Earth. The atmosphere is the layer of gases surrounding the Earth. Most of the heat surrounding the Earth escapes into outer space. This cools the Earth. But some of this heat is trapped by gases in the atmosphere, and this reduces the cooling effect. These gases act like a blanket, letting in sunlight but trapping the heat it produces. These gases include carbon dioxide, or CO2, and methane. This process is called the greenhouse effect. How many of you have seen a greenhouse or been to Kew or Wisley? Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah, lots of people. And seen the enormous greenhouses there. A greenhouse is made of glass, allowing sunlight to pass through and warm the air and plants inside. The heat that isn't absorbed by plants is trapped by the glass and can't escape. Throughout daylight hours, sunlight keeps coming through the glass, adding more and more heat energy to the, so the inside gets warmer and warmer and continues to stay warm after the sun sets. A greenhouse is really successful at growing plants all year round, even when it's too cold outside for some plants to stay alive. How? Because the air inside the greenhouse naturally stays warmer than the air outside. The process that warms the planet works in a similar way to a greenhouse. Now, the best available climate science claims that most of the warming in the last 100 years comes from increased gases like carbon dioxide and methane in the atmosphere, so we call them greenhouse gases. These gases are naturally in the air around us. But our everyday activities have increased the amount of these gases. It's not just a question of the climate getting warmer, though. Some places will get colder. There will be more storms and violent weather patterns, and the weather will become less predictable. So what are all the activities that increase the amount of greenhouse gases? OK, there's a quiz coming up. So reach for your piece of scrap paper and pencil. See if you can match the human activity to the percentage of greenhouse gas emissions. Mum and Dad will help you. So you've got, you've got the numbers at the bottom, the percentages at the bottom. Now see if you can match those with the human activity. Ooh, a bit tricky, isn't it? Have a go, though. I'll give you a couple of minutes. So top of the list, at 25%, is electricity and heat production. 
The burning of coal, natural gas, and oil for electricity and heat is the largest single source of global greenhouse gas emissions. Second is agriculture at 24%. It's quite a surprise to me, really. Cultivation of crops and livestock and deforestation. Third is industry, 21%. Fossil fuels burned in factories for energy and production of goods. Next is transport, 14%. Fossil fuels burned for transport by road, rail, air, and ship. Almost all the world's transportation energy comes from petrol and diesel. Next, building, 6%. Fossil fuels burned for heating buildings or cooking in homes. And finally, other energy, 10%. Fossil fuels burned for other energy, other energy required. The things that we haven't already um, covered. How many did you get right? Six? Five? Four? Three? Oh, oh, someone got four over there. Well done. Three. Two, one? Two, one? Oh. <laughs> Excellent. Right. We're all finding out a lot of new facts then this morning, me included when I was doing the research for it. So nearly everything we do releases some amount of CO2 into the atmosphere, and this is, of course, called our carbon footprint. The size of our carbon footprint depends on a huge number of factors. We can increase or decrease our carbon footprint with our everyday choices. For example, the food we buy needs energy to work the machinery to help it grow, to harvest it, to package it, and transport it to where you bought it from. Then more energy, of course, is used when we cook that food, which adds even more to our carbon footprint. So how does our carbon footprint compare with other nations in the world? Now, I often hear people say, oh, why, we, why should we do anything about our carbon footprint? Look at China. Look at India. Okay, well, you may have some surprises. So another quiz coming up, guys. <laughs> Can you match the carbon footprint per person with the country. So there are nine. You definitely need some help from mum and dad for this one. Okay, shall we go through the answers? Yes, yes, okay. So here are the answers. Can you see those? So I've, I wrote the countries in ranking order on the previous slides um, to make it easier for checking. I don't know if that's actually going to make it easier. Um, if you remember, the United Arab, Arab Emirates were in the top left-hand corner, and they're the big, they're most guilty or most responsible. Did anyone guess that? No. It's quite a surprise, isn't it? So, yeah, there you can see it. The UK ranks 35th in the world. There you can see who's uh, responsible for the increase in CO2. There's a huge blob over Europe and the Middle East, uh, United Arab Emirates, um, a smaller blob over Australia, some blobs in the US. So that gives you a really good impression. 
of who is most responsible. And as you can see, there are only a few smaller blobs in um, China. Right, and, and India too. The destructive effects of climate change are everywhere, aren't they? Polar ice is melting, leading to rising sea levels. In 2019, cyclones were lashing Sri Lanka, India, Bangladesh, and Southeast Africa, leaving destruction in their wake. Rainfall patterns are shifting, causing devastating droughts and floods, deluging entire towns in southeast Spain. Hurricane Dorian ripped through the Bahamas. There was a record-breaking heat wave in southern Australia with temperatures in the mid-40s for 40 weeks in a row in some areas. Forest fires raged in Victoria, Australia, and in the Amazon forest. France recorded its highest temperature ever of 45.9 degrees. In July, temperature records were broken in Belgium, Germany, and the Netherlands during the planet's hottest month on record. In 2015, 195 nations signed a crucial climate agreement, the Paris Agreement, to limit the rise in temperature to no more than 2 degrees and ideally less than 1.5 degrees. The Climate Action Summit with 70 world leaders took place in September 2019 to look at progress. The goal the world needs to achieve is net zero emissions by 2050. That means that with, for example, planting trees and other technologies and, and schemes to reduce CO2, we will be balancing CO2 emissions with carbon removal. Despite all the scientific evidence, all the destruction, all the suffering and massive loss of lives and livelihoods, especially in no-income countries. All the global pledges, strikes and marches. CO2 emissions continue to rise. If we've not taken dramatic action within the next decade, we could face irreversible damage to God's world and the collapse of our societies. As always, our response as Christian, Christians is shaped for us by the Bible. In the Gospel of Matthew, an expert in the law asked Jesus, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The climate crisis we're facing is a symptom of our failure to love God and to love our neighbor. Our calling, you see, is to see creation through God's eyes. Before God created humans, he saw that his creation was good. Creation is a gift from God. And in Psalm 104, it says, He makes grasses grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. Taking responsibility for the climate crisis is a crucial part of loving the planet and honoring it as a good gift from God. 
Jesus says it is our second most important duty and responsibility to love our neighbor. Climate change causes extreme weather, which tears down homes, destroys crops, displaces hundreds of thousands of people, and forces children out of schools that are damaged or become evacuation centers. Lower-income countries don't have the means to build defenses against extreme weather. We need a vision for understanding how to honor God by caring for his creation and loving our neighbors. Not only our geographical neighbors, but our global neighbors. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We must take action because we have the power to. And we must love our neighbor because it's our calling. And we must challenge ourselves to grapple with the science and the truth of the situation because we are of a sound mind. The carbon fast is a brilliant way of showing that we love and honor God and our neighbor. Pick up a hard copy today. The first week is a week of preparation to help us understand and galvanize us into action. We'll be discovering our own individual carbon footprint and thinking about how we can reduce it. We'll be getting powered up for climate justice and praying for those who are most affected by it. We will be committing ourselves to the Lenten fast and encouraging our family and friends to take part too. You can even write your own pledge or use a ready-made one and be photographed and post it on our social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter using hashtag CCNMLent2020 and join in the conversation with other Christchurch members and their family and friends. Find out how others are doing with their daily challenges. As I said earlier on, there's also a kid's version with lots of activities to try. Whoever completes the most tasks will win a fair trade chocolate Easter egg. Sign up for our daily carbon fast email or download the calendar and the kids eco challenge sheet on the homepage of the church website. So what can we do about our CO2? There are masses of ideas on the Lenten fast for creation calendar. Each week has a different theme, waste, energy, food, water, and nature. Creation is God's gift for you to enjoy. In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. Psalm 96 says, Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Don't steal this wonderful vision from your children, your grandchildren, or your neighbors. Act now. <laughs>